Well, tonight we're going to do something a little bit different as we pause and, and, and come into what we typically understand to be our sermon time. Tonight we're going to talk about some of those, I don't know, more um, utilitarian aspects of our church and, and frame some thinking for us so that we can advance the work in a way that we pray is consistent with the one we're working for. So let me ask, um, let me ask you this, have you ever done something before that you learned was culturally inappropriate but you just didn't know? Okay. You were acting on good faith and in a good way but you, you did something that you just didn't know was inappropriate, you didn't intend to, to, to undermine but you just didn't know and so not knowing you were functioning in a way that, that you assumed was the right way to function. I mean, I'm, I'm certain I've done that on many occasions. One time that I remember distinctly is I was on a, a missions trip and we were in Japan and um, specifically we were on the island of Okinawa and we were staying in the home of a family that, that lived there and, and he was from the States, born and raised in the States. She was from Japan, born and raised in Okinawa. And uh, they had a few children and we were staying in their home. They, they extended a lot of grace to us. Well, very early on, I learned that, that I was doing something offensive. Now, I should have known better. I, I, this is not rocket science and, and I could have figured this out. But I don't know, I was, I was there. We were, we were jet lagged. We're just coming in. I'm excited to meet the missionaries. And, and we head into their home. And maybe some of you can already anticipate the cultural faux pas that I, I um, just kind of, no pun intended, I walked right into. Well, I walked into their home with my shoes on. And in Japan, no one enters a home with their shoes on. I mean, if you're even remotely thinking you see a lot of shoes lined up just outside the door that you're walking into and uh, here I am I'm, I'm just like hey it's so good to see you and oh I'm happy to be here and, and uh, they were gracious and kind but but you could tell that their eyes are kind of like you know like this and and finally slow Redland figures out like oh, I am so sorry. And I went out and they cut my feet off. And so <laughs> never to, to do that again. Okay, well, I, I obviously I, I tried to correct and apologize profusely, but, but I just honestly, I wasn't trying to be offensive. I just didn't know or I wasn't thinking about the expectation. So all of that to say, does God have expectations for his church? And you know, if you and I don't pause and think about what are God's expectations for his bride. Do you know one of the biggest challenges, quite honestly, in a, in a new marriage is that you have these expectations that you didn't actually know you had. And, and then when your spouse doesn't meet the expectations that, that they didn't know you had, and you may not have known you had, you think you know, well, what do you expect when you get married? Well, I expect when we get married, we'll, we'll have long talks and we'll walk on the beach and, and um, he'll do this and she'll do this. And, and we have all these kind of easy expectations, but, but nobody talked to you about how this guy is going to squeeze the toothpaste tube, you know? Like, did you know he just squeezes it from the middle? 
What kind of barbarian does that? You know, and so you start to think about these strange things that people do and you, you have these expectations. Isn't it reasonable for us to think that, that the bridegroom would have expectations for the bride? That the head would have expectations for the body? What we've done in, as a, a pastoral staff is we took time to just think through what are some of those, those purposes, missions, vision, commitments that should be part of the local church? Now, some of these are, are fairly obvious and, and oftentimes appropriately familiar. There are those things that we've said, oh, I've, I've thought about that before. I've heard us talk in those ways before. But what we've done is we've just assembled. Now, I will also say this, that this is not the definition of what every church's vision or mission or purpose should be worded as. So these, these are not the magic words. They're just words that help us at Campus Church. Could these words ever change? The words could change, but the mission, the purpose, the, 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 the commitments, those are, in a sense, timeless. So we're certainly not attempting to say that these are the perfect words, but they're certainly, they're certainly commendable desires. They're certainly appropriate missions and purposes and visions and commitments for campus church. So let's look at the first one. The first one that we would articulate regarding our purpose is to know God and to make him known. Do you remember when the lawyer came to Jesus and he is asking Jesus a question that he presumes is going to cause Jesus to stumble a bit in his answer? Listen to how Jesus responds. Jesus said, Master, um, the lawyer said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. To truly know God, to know him as he is, is to love him. When I look accurately at Jesus, when I start to understand who it is that I have the opportunity to behold, when I can gaze at that person, there is something that is the, the natural response. It's why it's so important that we look accurately at God. What then is one of those primary purposes of the local church or for that matter of the individual members that make up that church? Well, to know God, to know him. And then residually, okay, here's what's going to happen. I want to not only know him, but now that I know him, I want to make him known. You and I naturally talk about that which we love. Sometimes in, in less important ways and, and oftentimes in more important ways. I talk and I joke about this and, and it's, I say it oftentimes for fun, but if I asked you today, what kind of pie do I really love? Well, hopefully any spiritual person here would know it is rhubarb custard pie. I love that pie. And, and then you say, well, apparently so, you talk about it enough. Well, I do it in somewhat of a joking manner, but I do love that pie. 
If you said, what kind of a donut do you love? People say, hey, you, you know, what kind of a donut? Well, my favorite donut is something that we, we really don't find down here, but I love a nutty donut. You say, what kind of teams do you love? We could talk about teams. We could talk about all kinds of less important things. But you know, when I start to think about who do I truly love? Now, I also not only talk about some of the what, the less important, but now the who that I love. I hope that anybody, quite honestly, that spends time with me would know, not only by my words, but I pray by my actions, that I love my wife. Like, wow, he does. He loves Julie. He, there's something that, that comes out about his demeanor, about the manner with which he carries himself, about his conversation. I can tell he does love because this is something that, that, that protrudes out of my life, not just my lips. And then wouldn't it be wonderful? I mean, I'm hopeful about this. I, I don't want to make an assumption, but I, I hope that people would know. People that know me well. And wouldn't it be wonderful if people who knew us well, you and me, if people who knew us well said, you know, they're not doing it perfectly, but boy, do they love Jesus. I, I know that at times that, that that's not perfectly demonstrated, but I will tell you, I do genuinely, truly believe by what they say and how they live because they're constantly rotating around someone that's bigger than them. That person loves Jesus. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse number 24, the Bible says, declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. Declare his glory. Why? Because I know God and I desire to make him known. What then is our mission? Okay, I know my purpose, to know him and to make him known. What is the mission then of campus church or, or of the church? Again, this is simply stated and some of these will, will have appropriate overlap because there is this singular kingdom work that we're about. But what then is the mission of the church? Well, we would see our mission to live as a family of believers reflecting Christ and loving others. To live as a family of believers. To, to, not just to say, hey, that's our desire. Our mission is to live like who we are and then reflecting Christ, loving others. The Bible says this. The Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Okay, if I am crucified with Christ, I died with him, and, and I did, okay, his death, his burial, I identify with that, and his resurrection, but I live, yet it's not me that's living, but Christ in me. Then if I died with Christ, who should be obviously seen in me? Shouldn't it be obvious to any person looking that, you know, that that person died and a new person arose and it is the person of Jesus Christ. Then the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 11, it says, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Do you know, how do we best represent him? Well, we best represent him. We would, we would hearken back to something like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. And if God so loved us, we ought also to, what? Well, it makes perfect sense that our mission would be to reflect the one who is risen in us and then do what he does. 
Love one another. We could spend a lot of time talking about that because the Bible does. In fact, throughout the New Testament, we get this theme over and over and over again regarding how the body of believers should interact with one another and how we should be seen, not only interacting with each other, but a missional purpose of love for a lost and dying world. I might also add that we could state the mission this way. We could state the mission this way. Now the mission that, that, we, that we looked at was to live as a family of believers reflecting Christ and loving others. I'm going to add this and I'm adding this for the day in which we live. And we've spent time talking about this. In fact, we've spent whole sermons talking about this. So I won't belabor it, but I will mention it here. We could also state our mission this way. To live as the regularly assembled family of believers who go out reflecting Christ and loving others. The regularly assembled body of believers. I continue to see throughout scripture that there is something that is it's 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 essential to the ongoing function of the church and that is the church being a called out assembly that as you assemble together there is something that is absolutely essential the church cannot exist without its regular assembly Now again, I am talking to people right now who are here present and I'm talking to people who are watching by way of live stream. I do, I get it. I do understand that there are those that right now would be be inappropriately assembling. But I'm also aware that this is one one of the questions that we asked earlier that I think we all need to keep in front of us is, I do understand what the Bible says about the assembly of believers. I, I get that. Now we looked at, okay, we, we at times might come apart for a time, but that's not going to be our norm. And then our question is, and, and if any of us honestly ask this question, I think we come up with honest answers. The question is, or the, the understanding is, we've not established a new norm for church. The new norm for church is not that we don't really assemble anymore. We're isolated and we're somewhat alone. Now we connect, but we don't still assemble. That's not the new biblical norm. There's a timelessness about the the organization, the structure of the church. So you say, well, okay, how do I know, you know, when am I supposed to do this? Well, that's the question to ask. And I'm not prepared to answer that for you, but you should ask the question. Remember, it's not a question of if I will return to church. It is a question of when will I return to church. So if you'll ask that question, I think we come up with good, solid, even biblical answers. So when we're thinking about the mission of the church, we can't accomplish our mission isolated. We do have a... a, a called out assembled mission for the church. We meet and then we disperse and we carry on the mission of the church. Today, the church is is seen, it should be seen as something like a kingdom outpost. Okay, like, okay, the, the kingdom has established different strategic outposts and, and all of those ambassadors, they come and they assemble at the embassy. And they receive instruction and and they receive encouragement and they enjoy fellowship. And then they are thrust out again 
to carry on the kingdom work as they've assembled at, in a sense, the, the kingdom outpost. Well, let's, let's continue on and let's look not only at what we've called our purpose and our mission, but also our vision. This is something that is, is beyond us and that to which we aspire. What, what's the vision? Well, it's to live, to be the unified body of Christ that is truly representative of his body, the church. Not seeing ourselves as consumers, but being consumed with Christ and his mission for the church. The Bible says it this way in Colossians chapter 1 verse number 18. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in all things he might have the preeminence. What a powerful passage of scripture. You know, he's the head. He is the one from whom we receive instruction, direction, guidance, correction. He is the head of the body, the church. And then the church says, okay, everything's supposed to rotate around you. You're the one who is the preeminent one. The Bible goes on and it says in Romans chapter 12, verse number 5, it says, so we, being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. Okay, so here we are. We're, we're a lot of people. Listen, I know right now in this auditorium, it feels at times like we're not a lot of people, but you're a lot of people. In, in a large auditorium, I, I know soon we're going to be even a lot more people. But Campus Church is an assembled body of believers. We are many, yet... Even though we being many, we are one body in Christ. And then for us to function as that singular body, this means that because I'm part of the body, it's not about me. It is, a, it is, it is actually a part of the head and how this body can respond accordingly and advance the work he's given us to do. We live, and it's no fault of our own, and I'm saying that honestly, we, we were just born into it. We were born into a culture that is driven by what we call consumerism. We are consumers, and we, we consume on a regular basis, and, and therefore, because we're consumers, we have lots of choices. In fact, those who are trying to take that which they have prepared and, and help us to buy in, they do all they can to focus around us. It really, it's, it's all about you. you. You hear this, these kinds of statements right now. You hear statements like, hey, you just do you. Okay. And we're going to help you do you. Whatever that means to you, we're, going, we're here for you. Okay. That message has been around for quite a while and it's only deepened and, and strengthened in, in 2022. Okay, what does that mean regarding the church? Well, it's actually a little backwards regarding how God intended for the church to function. The church is not intended to gather together as consumers. Now, let me say this because I'm not trying to, to slough on this. Should the church provide something for those in attendance? And the answer is absolutely. That's part of the mission of the church. But am I supposed to come and evaluate everything as to how does this please me? You see, the body doesn't do that. The body actually comes together and says, okay, what's the head telling me to do? 
And the body's supposed to, to keep itself functioning well because, man, if there's a, if there's a problem with my foot, then, then that actually impairs the rest of my body. But it's not about the foot, it's about how can the foot actually serve to the advancement of the head and serve well that, that connected body. But oftentimes in, in today's culture, we, we find that we look at church as how does this please me as the individual part of the body rather than, okay, head, is this the body that you have connected me with? And so long as you have connected me with this local assembly, how can I advance your mission as it pertains to this body? And, and in our culture today, that's a, that's a hard thing for us to function and process in a manner that is consistent with Scripture. It's not necessarily the, the, the fault of any individual, but we are certainly born into that kind of mentality. Okay, let's, let's go just a little bit further and we're going to put some things together that we'll call our commitment. Or these are, these are what we would call our core values, things that we as a church are committed to. These are things, again, that, that we have shared in the past. We have, have given some ongoing, uh, help, I hope helpful, descriptions or, or, or explanations. And we changed one word in this that, that would be new to some that may have heard us review this before. The fir- and it's in the first one, biblical authority. Biblical authority. The way we used to word this was biblical accuracy. Biblical accuracy, that as a church, we had a commitment to being biblically accurate. So let me state very clearly that we have not fudged on our commitment to biblical accuracy. We're not saying, you know, that's not so important, so, so let's just go with biblical authority. What we truly believe is that biblical authority actually demands biblical accuracy. If you're truly looking at the authority of Scripture, you don't get to play fast and loose with the interpretation of the same. And so what are we, what are we committed to as a local body of believers? We're committed to biblical authority. That means that what we perceive is not too far down the road. With a clash that is um, consequential between our culture and, and true Christianity... We, we don't get to conform to the culture. Why? Because of biblical authority. When the Bible speaks to something, you and I don't get to reframe it so that it fits our desires or the, the, the comfort, you know, comfortable aspect with, with how we have to, you know, make our culture comfortable. We have to go with biblical authority. The Bible says it this way. Or we say it this way, above all, we submit ourselves to the word of God and its authority, not modifying the word to fit our lives, but conforming our lives according to its teaching. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You already know what the word sanctify means. It is a simple word. It means set apart. What Jesus is praying in this high priestly prayer, he's saying set them apart. And by what means? Sanctify, set them apart through thy truth. Well, how do I know truth? Thy word is truth. Again, there are several passages of scripture we could use to support this. But but what a concise view of what is it that is our final authority. And that is the word of God. 
So biblical authority. Then we go on to loving abundantly. The Bible says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another, John 13, 35. And then we would, we would add to that, love is never at the expense of truth. And it abounds in an environment of both knowledge and judgment. Okay, so, so love is never at the expense of truth. Have you ever had someone say, well, well, clearly, if you truly loved me, you would accept me as I am. Well, it's interesting. I do accept you as you are. And, and I do love you. That doesn't mean that I approve of your action. It does mean that I love you. Did you know that, that, that truth and judgment can actually come together in perfect Bible love. Look at the, look, look at the next passage that's listed there on the, the slide that we had just put up. In Philippians chapter 1, verse number 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more. How? In knowledge and in all judgment. Wow, that your love may abound. Knowledge. That means I, there are some things I need to know so that I can properly demonstrate Christ's love. I need to know what does marriage truly look like. I need to know some things about gender. I need to know some things about race. I need to know some things about the things that our culture is facing today. Knowledge and judgment. Judgment. It doesn't mean that I judge your motive. That's never my, my, the scriptural invitation to judge one another. What that means is I'm going to separate truth and error. Judge. I'm going to take these things and I'm going to start to discern. Set this here and this goes here and, and these things come together. Th this is Bible discernment and it coexists with love. Do you know that's what Campus Church wants to do? We want to love each other that way and we want to love a world that God sent his son on, on the world's behalf. Loving abundantly. That this is not something that a person has to look at long and hard to finally see that, well, I, I think I've seen some examples that campus church loves. But this should be the thing that they see with overflow. Like that church Wow, they love one another and they have embraced me with the same. So what is it that we're committed to? Our core values. Well, biblical authority, loving abundantly. And then we'd go on to what we call evangelistic fervency. Evangelistic fervency. Every individual believer is given the responsibility to share the gospel. God's power has not been diluted and this command has not been rescinded. Is his power weaker than when the Holy Spirit was given for the advancement of the gospel, for the conformity of Christ? Was his power diminished when it came in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? Or is it as powerful today? And then was the command in any way, shape, or form rescinded? Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts. Has that been rescinded? Or are we still functioning under the full power of the Holy Spirit and the direct command of Almighty God? Well, it's not been rescinded and it's not been diluted. Evangelistic fervency. That might have to look, it might have to look somewhat unique in the day in which you live. But certainly we have to figure out ways, how do I advance the gospel? 
Do you know there were, there were seasons for gospel advancement in, in all different kinds of cultures and times and periods? I have in my office something that, that I find really intriguing. I, I wish I would have brought it tonight. Um, it is a, uh, it's a little cardboard, it forms a little cardboard triangle. And inside it, it all kind of folds up. And, and um, on one of the pieces of the cardboard, there is a little, it's almost like a little metal pin. And then tucked in this little piece of cardboard, it's quite honestly, it's not much bigger than, than my Bible, this, this whole apparatus. When you open it up, there is a record inside of this little piece of cardboard. And then you just take a pen, you set it up, and, and it's kind of interesting. The pen sits on the record, and then you just take a, the little needle sits on a record, and you take a pencil or something, you start turning the record and the gospel, you can hear the gospel being shared. It's in a language, quite honestly, that I can't understand. But these were tools that they used for the advancement of the gospel in places where, where this was so unique, so special. And, and, you know, you just put your pen in there and turn it around and you, you're listening to a gospel presentation. Do we use those today? Do, do we pass those out? Do, when we go out on Connect this Saturday... Is that something that we should get to every door? Every door needs one of those records. Well, frankly, most people are not interested in in that kind of a gospel presentation today. We we use some things like this today. I I don't know how effective, but but it's a way today that people are familiar with. So we use QR codes and then we have a recorded gospel presentation that someone can get to because we give them a little card. I, I give these out all the time. Hey, have you ever gotten one of these before? No. Well, listen, if you take this, it's going to lead you to a video that's about eight minutes. And there's an email at the bottom. If you listen to that video, you watch that video, I want you to send an email. Tell us what you thought about the video. Okay, yeah, I'll do it during my break. It's just a way. Can gospel ways change? Do you know, sometimes we presume that, well, I leave the gospel presentation to the gospel professionals. You know, the gospel professionals, those people that are really, some people are just gifted with the ability to share the gospel. While that may be true, it doesn't exempt us from our responsibility to share the gospel. This year, as you stand on the verge of a new year, do a quick little review of last year. With whom did you share the gospel last year? And how did you do it? Sometimes, not just in this place, this is true for Christians, wherever we find them. Sometimes Christians become too comfortable in their Christian bubble. And we don't break out of that bubble. We're we're nervous, like, hey, there's lost people out there. Yes, there are. And you know, for us to, to leave the comfort of the bubble and find a place where there are lost people and an opportunity for us to share it, you know, there used to be back in, I suppose it was the 70s, 80s, there was, there was something that we called, or that we would hear people talk about called lifestyle evangelism. Lifestyle evangelism was just go live your life and people will come to Christ. Well, the problem with lifestyle evangelism is there was no lip style evangelism. It's just go live your life and maybe someone will ask you. Well, your life, my life, our life should be lived in such a way that a person should see there is something different about that person. But it should be more than just lifestyle evangelism. 
Relational, yes. Opportunity to connect and, and, and show I care about you as a person, yes. I'm not just trying to, to get this check mark so I, okay, I shared the gospel. No, I, I care about this eternal soul. In, in 2022, the door is definitely open. But, but today's door, the 16th of January, it's, it's almost closed. And then tomorrow, a new door is open. What will we do with the open door of tomorrow? Do you know, you and I have a, a God-given command and all the power and resource to, resources to accomplish it, to share the gospel, evangelistic fervency. Use things that the church provides. Use them. Go on connect and invite people to the men's stakeout. Get people, get lost people there. But don't stop there. May our lives be a continual light that leads others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. What's next? Spiritual vibrancy. Spiritual vibrancy. We understand that the spirit-filled life produces an overflow of joy and our lives become an act of worship. That We referenced this passage this morning, John 7, 38 and 39. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Spiritual vibrancy. Okay. Now, now this is just engaging in the spirit life. And I think church should certainly be traditional. Uh, my, and I say this, I'm not joking about this in the least. I have a dear friend here, a, a, one of my lifetime friends, and it's Bob Mack. And Bob's sitting down here. And, and so I've known Bob. He and I were roommates in college, and we've known each other. We, we have fellowship together in the gospel. It has been, we're, we're at odds about a lot of things. Not the least of which is the Michigan-Ohio State game. Okay, so we are at odds about a lot of things, but... But we share fellowship together in the gospel. And you know, when, when you start talking about how is a service done, because Bob's a missionary in the, the west coast of Africa. Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast, is where he's been a missionary now for, wow, for over 30 years. Bob, Bob's been there for a lot of years. He's old, okay? So, <clears throat> so, so. Do you think that a service in Ivory Coast looks a little different than it does regarding a service here at Campus Church? In some ways, there are universal things. They sing, they pray, they give, they listen, they preach. But how each of those things are done, does that potentially look a little different? Yeah, yeah. It does, actually. I'm, I'm, not, I'm asking a rhetorical question. It does look different. And, and spiritual life is not just about creating emotion. Spiritual vibrancy is not just about pretending that there is something. And, and hey, hey, here's what we have to do. Because the Bible speaks about lifting your hands. So we have to do that so that there's spiritual vibrancy. Well, you know, th there's personality of a church as well. Is it okay for someone to raise hands in church? Is it okay for a church to have a personality regarding raising hands in church? Is it okay for a church to be a big amen church? 
Is it okay for a church to say, you know, we're, we're typically traditionally a little bit more quiet. Is it okay for a church to look different? Yes, but no church should function without the absolute ongoing life of the Holy Spirit. That we come fully engaged in spirit life. That we come personally filled with the Holy Spirit and expect to worship together with those who are the same. This is the the function of the local church. It might look a little different from church to church, from place to place, from culture to culture, from region to region, from time period to time period, but it should all be spiritually alive, filled with the power that actually is engaging the work of the church. And then the last one is social relevancy. Social relevancy. That means that you and I understand The church has a relevant message and we're committed to it for the day, the period, the time in which you and I live. So without compromise, the church has always met the culture with a message that is relevant for all people, all places, and all times. Psalm 102, verse 25 through 27. Of old thou hast laid the foundation of the earth, the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. That means that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Of uh, All of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture thou shalt change them. And they shall be changed. But thou art the same. And thy years shall have no end. Okay, that means that cultures, times, uh, periods change. But not God. And, and what does that mean for people like you and me? It means that there is a socially relevant message from the timeless one. That will always answer the time that we're in. What this also means is that things can change. Social relevance means that the gospel message, which never changes, meets us right where we are in a world that is always in a state of change. The gospel doesn't change, but how many of you have seen a few changes in your day? And you know the gospel still meets us right where we are. It also means that we must distinguish between those things that can change from those things that can never change. Did you, let me say that again. And we'll wrap this up. It means we have to learn. Because we have this social relevant message. Socially relevant message. It means we have to discern between. Okay what can change and what can't change. And sometimes we struggle with that. And we struggle with it because we have preferences and desires. And that's okay. It's okay to have those, but we do have to at least recognize, acknowledge that there are some things that can change and there are some things that can never change. And to discern between the two is of utmost importance. Okay, truth will never change. True for all people, all places, and all times. The application, even the distribution of that truth is always relevant, but often changing. Let me ask you this. Does the Bible have an opinion on TV? Does the Bible have an opinion on phone use or the internet or how a Christian should drive his car or how a Christian should dress or what a Christian should listen to? Does the Bible have opinions on any and all of those things? Well, sure. Do those things, um, are those things always the same? Has your, um, (laughs) how many of you have seen your own fashion change over the course of some years? Have you made any fashion changes? Okay. Uh, how many of you look back at your old yearbooks and, and you don't want your children to see them? How many of you have some of that? Why? Well, because something changed, right? You say, yeah, my, 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 um, my hair changed, you know. I used to have some. <laughs> and, uh, 
How many of you ladies, do you remember when hair, like really tall hair, or you had the stuff that came up right there? It's quite unique, okay? And, and you look back and it's like, whoa, wow, I can't believe we did that. And Julie was going through some of my ties recently and, and um, she's like, oh, well, you know, I said, no, 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 we, we're, I didn't say this, but in my mind, I'm, we, I've saved them. I saved them, okay? And some of them are really wide. I mean, they, they're out to here, you know what I mean? And um, there, there are some, but I like them. And, and if I live long enough, they're coming back again, okay? <laughs> do you know what that means? It means that some things change. We, we do become pretty comfortable with. I'd like to do a study on ties. I like ties personally. I, I like them, but I'd like to do a study on that. Maybe Dr. Zach, maybe... Maybe you know, Pastor Young, maybe you know, but when were ties introduced? I mean, has, has, has a godly person always worn a tie to church? Amen? Well, the point is, they haven't. Are there some things that can change? Do you know if we're part of a body that is accurately reflecting a body, we have to be able to discern to be socially relevant, what are those things that can never change? Never. You can't touch that. And what are those, some of those things that actually could? And it might be hard for us. No, I don't like that change. I, I get it. I might wear some of those ties, okay? But some things can and some things never should. These are some of the things that when we understand how does the church function, we can not make some of those mistakes in a sense that that would be like, oh, I didn't, I didn't intend to do that. I didn't know or I thought that. And we, we kind of walk in with our shoes on, not knowing. But when we know what's the purpose, the mission, the vision, the commitment of the local church, when we understand it, we can function within it to advance the purposes that are far beyond ourselves and have eternal consequence. By God's grace, may Campus Church always well represent him and advance his mission.